Everybody else, Isaiah chapter 62 in your Bibles. You guys have a good time learning the Word of God. That's fantastic. Isaiah 62, everybody else? Encourage everybody to do the discipleship program if you haven't yet, that you do it at some point. Uh, there's just so much you can glean from it. Even if you've grown up in church and know the Word well, uh, I went through it, been through it several times. The first time I went through this curriculum, it, it helped remind me of some things I had forgotten about, helped me see some things in a new light. And so I encourage everybody at some point to do it. And our goal is that not only do you do it, but you help walk other people through it. We want all of you here to not only get to a place where you have been discipled, but you are helping to make disciples. Uh, I have a phrase I like, uh, disciples make disciples. Amen? Disciples don't just sit around uh, and act like a pew potato, not a couch potato, a pew potato. And they get with it, and uh, they, uh, they're, they're involved in that. If you're a mom or dad in here, then you've you got your work cut out with those kids, getting them to be disciples. Uh, but uh, we want to help uh, at the church with those young Christians or, or newer Christians to be developed in the Lord. Isaiah 62. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Verses 6 and 7 is where we're going to open tonight. The goal is to make it through all 12 verses tonight. We'll see how far we get. Verse 6 and 7, the Bible says, I have set watchmen upon thy walls, O Jerusalem, which shall never hold their peace day nor night. Ye that make mention of the Lord, keep not silence. And give Him no rest till He established, until He make Jerusalem a praise in the earth. These watchmen are to proclaim and pray for God to step in and give peace in Jerusalem. And they are not to stop until the Lord does it. They are to pray and pray and pray. Look back at verse 7. And give Him, speaking of God, give Him no rest till He establish, until He make Jerusalem a praise in the earth. The title of the Bible study out of Isaiah 62 is this, Watchmen on the Wall. Watchmen on the Wall. We are to be the watchmen on the proverbial wall, calling out to God in prayer that He would give peace in Israel. Let's pray together tonight. Lord, as we open up the pages of the Bible and we study them tonight, we cross-reference, we look at truth, would you, Lord God, guide us and help us to be reminded of the great power of prayer. Oh, prayer is to be an integral part of the Christian life. We are to pray as we, Lord, travel down the road. We are to pray as we walk through the grocery store. We are to pray while we're getting ready in the morning. We're to pray before we eat. We're to pray... Uh, Lord God, at all times, we're to pray in private, we're to pray in public. Help us to remember the command to pray without ceasing. May our lips be filled with prayer. And Lord, help us to pray for those things that matter the most to You. Be with us tonight as we get look at this passage. Lord God, encourage us and help us to leave here with our battery charged as we head back out into the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Watchman on the wall. You think about a watchman, and uh, you know what a watchman does. He is looking out for uh, any news that needs to be given inside that would be uh, valuable or important to the health of that city. And uh, that's the job of a watchman. In the old days, maybe 
there would be a set of binoculars or a telescope to help uh, see, uh, know exactly uh, what uh, was coming a distance away, and then they would turn around and cry and declare, and uh, they would let others know the needs of the city. And uh, the Bible says that God is going to set watchmen upon thy walls, O Jerusalem, which shall never hold their peace, day nor night. They'll constantly cry out, asking for God to give peace in that city. The watchmen on the wall. We need watchmen on the walls of our homes. We need watchmen on the walls of our church. We need watchmen on the walls of our own country who will watch guard and cry out and declare those things that are true into the ears of the Lord. Oh, how important that is. You say, well, Pastor Lejeune, how is it that I declare my message? You do that through the median of prayer. In the first five verses of chapter 62, we see the zeal of the Lord toward Israel. From verse 6 down through verse 12, we see the zeal of Israel toward the Lord. Again, verses 1 through 5, the zeal of the Lord toward Israel. And then the last half of the chapter, the zeal of the Israelites to the Lord. And listen, zeal is a very important thing. Zeal is what gets you to get up and go do what's right and not let life happen to you. You are happening to life. Uh, you're not just uh, 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 mistakenly falling your way through life. No, you're getting up and going places with purpose. No one ends up being a great Christian on accident. If you're going to be a great Christian, it's because you make choices and establish in your life disciplines that cause you to be a great Christian. Zeal is what gets you uh, to give an invite to Raphael at the laundromat. Zeal is what gets you to invite Jillian to church uh, at the restaurant. Zeal is what gets you to uh, get up and do something about the problems that you see in your life. Zeal is what gets you to get on your knees and pray when times are hard. We need Christians who have a zeal, a fire that's burning in their bones for the Lord. Let's look at this chapter tonight. And most of the chapters we're going to cover in two points. And then the third one we'll look at the last two verses together. Let's jump in tonight as we consider this title of Isaiah 62, Watchmen on the Wall. Number one, notice the ambition of the Messiah. Look with me at verse number one. The ambition of the Messiah. We can see here the ambition of of the Lord Jesus Christ. For Zion, Zion's sake, will I not hold my peace? The I there being God, uh, the Messiah. I will not hold my peace. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest until the righteousness thereof go forth as brightness and the salvation thereof as a lamp that burneth. And the Gentiles shall see thy righteousness in all kings thy glory. And thou shalt be called by a new name which the mouth of the Lord shall name. Thou shalt also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of thy God, thou shalt no more be termed forsaken. 
Neither shall thy land any more be termed desolate, but thou shalt be called uh, Hephzibah, and thy land Beulah, for the Lord delighteth in thee, and thy land shall be married. For as a young man marrieth a virgin, so shall thy uh, sons marry thee. And as the bridegroom rejoiceth over the bride, so shall thy God rejoice over thee. There's a lot in these five verses. Let's unpack it with a letter A, B, and a C here. Notice from verses 1 and 2, the Lord will provide a righteous light. A righteous light. Go back with me to chapter 62 and verse 1. Notice the Bible says, For Zion's sake will I, the Messiah, not hold my peace. And for Jerusalem's sake I, God, will not rest until the righteousness therefore go forth as brightness and the salvation therefore as a lamp that burneth look at verse 2 who is the light shining for and the gentiles shall see thy righteousness and all kings thy glory and thou shalt be called by a new name which the mouth of the lord shall name a righteous light now when god chose abraham uh, he called him a righteous light whose descendants would shine bright to the nations, but what did Israel do? They turned, and in their idolatry and rebellion, they became like a bride that has been set aside for a time of separation. Now, in my uh, in my counseling of couples who were going through a very hard time, I've had to give some hard advice at times to either a husband or wife. Here's the advice I have to give when a spouse is just so bent on doing wrong and behaving in a way that's harmful. Maybe it's a husband who is physically abusing a wife. Or maybe it's a wife who is uh, just as a, a, a fierce temper and is hurting the family and on a hard level. Or maybe a wife who has an addiction issue. My encouragement after uh, many efforts to get them to be restored is I'll look at the spouse who is under assault or abuse and I will say to them, I think it might be time for you to separate from your husband or wife. You say, Pastor Lejeune, do you ever advise someone to get a divorce? I've never, ever advised anyone to get a divorce. There are some situations, I believe, in the Bible where it is permitted, uh, where divorce is permitted. There are good people who disagree with me on that and that's fine. But I, I don't believe that uh, God ever encourages or wants divorce. God is never, never, listen, never for divorce. Sometimes it's permissive. It's never His perfect will. But however, there are biblical examples of separation. And what did God do with Israel? He set them aside. He has separated Himself from them. Because of why? Because of their idolatry. And God compares idolatry to adultery. He says, you're cheating on me because you're worshiping false gods. And God, uh, God made them a bright light when He chose Abraham and sent him into Canaan land. And then that light went out because of their sin. And for many years, they had lost their status as an established nation. But then in 1948, they were given that back. That was no accident. That was a very important uh, point 
on the uh, 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 eschatological, eschatological timeline there, uh, they, uh, uh, they were given that back. Look back with me at verse number 2, and the, uh, rather verse number 1. Um, uh, and for Jerusalem's sake I will not rest. I'm sorry, that's not the verse I want you to look at. But look at verse 4. Thou shalt no more be termed forsaken, neither shall thy land any more be termed desolate. The land of Israel is no longer desolate. It has now been given back to uh, the, the, the Jewish people, the Israelites, and they now have that back. So they were a bright light under Abraham and then chose uh, chose uh, idolatry and rebellion. And then they became a bright light again. In fact, the time that Israel shined the bright, shined the brightest in history was probably when David and Solomon ruled from their thrones. Remember when David and Solomon ruled from their thrones in the Bible? They were the most prominent country in the world, but yet they turned back to sin and they lost their light. But then there was that time when a little baby was born in Nazareth, or rather in Bethlehem, excuse me, in Bethlehem. And uh, that was the time that the brightest of bright lights ever shined on planet Earth. Isn't it uh, picturesque, the angels lighting up the sky, singing to the shepherds? Light had come into the world. In fact, in Spanish, when you say that a woman is given birth, what you say is that she gave light. That's how you say it in Spanish. You said she gave light. Uh, Carlos, you speak some Spanish down there? A little bit. Uh, Joe, will you speak some Spanish down there? Uh, ella de luz. She gave light. And uh, the woman who gave the brightest of light on earth was Mary. When Jesus was born, uh, she gave light into the earth. Jesus said, I am, John 8, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. And one day, the Lord will, uh, in His ambition, He will provide a righteous light back to Israel, but not only a righteous light, we see in verses 3 and 4, a renewed position. A renewed position. Look back at verse number 3. Thou shalt also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of thy God. Thou shalt no more be termed forsaken, neither shall thy land any more be termed desolate. And uh, we'll look at the rest of that verse here in just a moment. Uh, Throughout much of Israel's existence, they have been a people in bondage. You may remember that they uh, sold Joseph into slavery. And then what happened? They followed Joseph to Egypt where they themselves would become slaves. And that would be their punishment where they sold their brother into bondage and as a result, they were taken into bondage where they would stay for several hundred years. Then Moses would lead them out of bondage. They would walk across the desert. Forty years later, a new generation would rise up. They'd move into their promised land and they would get established there under Joshua. And then you get to the book of Judges. And uh, the Bible says there rose up a generation who knew not the Lord and knew not Joshua. And what happened as a result of that? Uh, Judges began to raise up and lead them back out of captivity. You remember the cycle in the book of Judges? It was righteous living and then wretched living and then they would be carried away into captivity only to repent and then to be given Uh, uh, liberty and and freedom and then they'd go right back a generation later and end up right back 
into bondage. And then they chose a king. And they had King Saul and then King David and, and then King Solomon. And then the kingdom was split under Rehoboam and Jeroboam. And, and then uh, the northern uh, ten tribes would not have any righteous kings. All of them would do evil in the sight of the Lord. Judah would have their share of righteous uh, kings. But lo and behold, eventually both kingdoms would be carried away into captivity. Uh, uh, the northern ten tribes are carried away into captivity by who? The Assyrians. The two southern tribes were carried away into captivity by who? The Babylonians. And so yet again, they became a people of slavery. A people subject to another people group. And then when Jesus came onto the planet, uh, was born here on earth, the incarnated Christ, He was born under the Roman bondage. Roman bondage. And then to this day, while they have had their nation reestablished in 1948, most Israel most Jews are dispersed all over the world and will be until King Jesus comes back and renews their position. Look back at verse number 3, chapter 62. Look back with me at verse 3. Notice what it says. It says, Thou shalt also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of thy God. You say, well, what will their renewed position be? It will be one of royalty. We saw in chapter 61 as we went through that chapter that the Gentiles will call them part of the royal priesthood and that they'll serve the Lord as Gentiles serve them. They will serve the Lord. So not only uh, will the ambitious Messiah make them a righteous light and provide for them a renewed position, but we see letter C that they will be given a provided a restored marriage, a restored marriage. Look down at verse number Four and five with me again there. Look at the second half of verse four. It says there, But thou shalt be called Hephzeba, and thy land Beulah. How many of you remember the old song, Beulah Land? Beulah Land, I'm longing for you. Remember that? Remember that song? I haven't heard that song in many years. Beautiful song. What does the word Beulah mean? What does the word um, uh, uh, Hephzeba mean? Look at verse 5. I'm going to answer that in just a moment. For as a young man marrieth a virgin, so shall thy sons marry thee. And as the bridegroom rejecteth over, rejoiceth over the bride, so shall thy God rejoice over thee. A, re, a restored marriage. Here's what Hephzeba means. You can write this down in your notes. It means my delight is in her. My delight is in her. Isn't that beautiful? How many of you ladies would like it if your husband looked at you and said, my delight is in her? Right? The word Beulah means uh, that is married. Beulah means that is married. So let's look back at verse number 4, the last half of the verse, and let's, let's put these definitions in where the words are. But thou shalt be called, my delight is in her, and thy land um, uh, uh, that is married, uh, uh, one that is married. For the Lord delighteth in thee, and thy land shall be married. And now, uh, again, I don't believe that God divorced Israel, but I can say that God through a, uh, went through a time of separation. I have known some couples who went through a time of separation and they're still legally married, 
but have not had any sort of romantic relationship with each other in decades, but they just never went down to the courthouse and finalized the divorce. So on paper, they're still married, but in practice, they're not married. They don't live like they're married. They live completely separate lives. And really, that's been the picture of God and Israel. Uh, and uh, does Israel have their, uh, their uh, religious traditions? Oh, yes, they do. They're steeped in their religiosity. They might have religion, but what they don't have is a relationship with their Maker and a relationship with their God. Uh, they're separated from Him for a time. There will be a day where that relationship, that marriage is restored. And as I think about this, I think of the story of Hosea and Gomer. Are you familiar with the story of Hosea and Gomer? Uh, Hosea was told by God to go marry a woman who was a prostitute. And so he went and married this woman named Gomer. Now I have to say, uh, there are a lot of names that I think to be a pretty name. Gomer is not on the list of names that I would view to be a pretty name. In fact, uh, I don't know anyone who has named their daughter Gomer. Uh, that would be quite the name, right? Gomer. And if you're watching, no one here is named Gomer. If you're watching online tonight and your name is Gomer, I'm sorry if I just picked on you. But uh, the name Gomer there. And so that's who Hosea married. And he had several children with Gomer. And then Gomer returned back to her uh, ways, her sinful, uh, promiscuous ways. And what did Gomer do? Uh, she began to get pregnant by other men and have children by other men. And Hosea gave her an ultimatum. Uh, ship, uh, uh, shape up or ship out. And she would not shape up. And so he kicked her out of the house. He did not divorce her, but he kicked her out of the house. Are you all with me tonight? And what happened there? Some of you haven't looked at me once the whole service. I hope I hope we're okay here. Uh, but um, uh, sent her out of the house and separated from her. And Gomer found her way into slavery because of her sinful ways. And lo and behold, Hosea went and he bought her back and he loved her and he restored her. And just as that was the case, Israel has wandered from God, but there will be a day where Jehovah God restores the marriage with Israel. And listen, He will give her, the Bible says there in verse 4 and 5, He will give her a new name. Now, when I married Angela, she dropped her maiden name, Segura, Angela Segura, and now she is Angela Lejeune. She's got a Spanish first name and a French last name. And my poor mother-in-law cannot say her daughter's new last name. She cannot get her tongue uh, to wrap around that there. But you know what um, you don't do if you're already married? You don't give yourself another new name. If Angela and I went through some marriage trouble and we separated from each other and then after some time put it back together, she doesn't get another new name. That only happens when you get married. But what's going to happen with Israel? The Lord is going to give her a new name as though, as though she's being married for the first time. He will give her a new name and there will be a rejoicing. In fact, verse 5 compares Israel in this time to a virgin. A virgin. We know that Israel is not in this metaphorically a virgin. She's cheated on the Lord many times in her history, but she'll be viewed by the Lord as a virgin. So we see, we see the ambition of the Messiah. He's going to go after Israel. He's going to renew himself 
to her. Number two, we see the anticipation for the millennium. The anticipation for the millennium. Look at with me at verse number six, and let's read down through verse ten, and then we'll come back and a, a, b, and c it, and we'll um, uh, we'll dissect it little at a time. Look down at verse six, and let's get a good reading here of this. It says uh, again, the Lord speaking here: "I have set watchmen upon thy walls, O Jerusalem, which shall never hold their peace." Day nor night, ye that make mention of the Lord shall not keep silence and give him no rest till he establish and that he make Jerusalem a praise in the earth. The Lord hath sworn by his right hand and by the arm of his strength, surely I will no more give thy corn to be meat for thine enemies and the sons of the strangers shall not drink thy wine for which thou hast labored, but they that have gathered it shall eat it and Praise the Lord, and they that have brought it together shall drink it in the courts of my holiness. Go through, go through the gates, prepare ye the way of the people, cast up, cast up the highway, gather out the stones, lift up a standard for the people. Notice in letter A under point two here, notice the prayers of the watchmen. Uh, or the proclamation of the watchman. Look back with me at verse 6. Uh, the Jesus, or rather God says here, I have set watchmen upon thy walls, O Jerusalem, which shall never hold their peace, day nor night. Ye that make mention of the Lord, keep not silence. They shall never hold their peace. What are they doing? They're praying uh, for the peace of their city. And, and praying for peace in Jerusalem is a biblical uh, thing. Turn over to Psalm 122 in your Bible. Psalm 122 and verse number 1. And we'll read down uh, through verse number 6. Here we're uh, told by the psalmist to pray for peace. Uh, look with me at verse number 1 there. The prayer of the watchman. The Bible says the effectual Fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. It is very effective, uh, very uh, functional. It accomplishes much. Look at verse 1. Uh, the psalmist writes, I was glad when they said unto me, Let us go in, into the house of the Lord. Our feet shall stand within thy gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is builded as a city that is compact together Whither the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, under the testimony of Israel, to give thanks unto the name of the Lord. For there are set thrones of judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Read verse 6 with me. Ready? Pray, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee. We're told here to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. First Thessalonians chapter 5 Verse 17, if I can make a practical application to us here uh, this evening, 1 Thessalonians 5.17 is only three words long, but three of the most important words that could be strung together in our language. Here's what 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says. It says, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. That means we are to stay in a spirit of prayer. We are to regularly bow our heads at any given moment and pray 
when our lives are, are difficult, we are to immediately turn to the Lord in prayer. Uh, when someone's going through a challenging time, we are to immediately go to the Lord and intercede in prayer, supplicate in prayer. When we have a decision to make, we are to immediately bow our head and ask God for wisdom and discernment in prayer. Uh, when a loved one comes to our mind who might be struggling emotionally or spiritually or physically, we are to immediately bow our head and we are to pray. We are to bathe everything in prayer. We are to pray without ceasing. Our go-to in the Christian life ought to be prayer. We are to, uh, we are to take everything to the Lord in prayer. Turn over to the 127th Psalm. Everything that we do ought to be taken to the Lord in prayer. Uh, the needs for our nation ought to be taken to the Lord in prayer. The needs of Israel are to be taken to the Lord in prayer. Our needs at work ought to be taken to the Lord in prayer. The needs of our marriage ought to be taken to the Lord in prayer. Uh, the needs of our children, whether they're grown or still living in our home, ought to be taken to the Lord in prayer. The needs of our grandchildren ought to be taken to the Lord in prayer. Look at Psalm 127 and verse 1. The Bible says, "...except the Lord..." build the house, they labor in vain that build it, except the Lord keep the city. The watchman waketh, but in vain. Notice that watchman. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. What is Psalm 127 teaching us? It's teaching us that you cannot build an institution only the Lord can build an institution and we are to get on our face and we're to call out in prayer as His watchman and ask God to step up and make the difference. I uh, find it very challenging to be a husband because I've been given the command of God to love my wife, watch this word now, unconditionally. I'm to love her unconditionally. And you know what? You know why it's so hard to love my wife unconditionally? Not only because she's a sinner, but in the larger part of it, because I am a sinner. And I don't want to love her unconditionally. I want to love me unconditionally. But I've been commanded to love her unconditionally. I've been commanded to uh, uh, treat her with great care. And I've been commanded to wash her in the water of the Word and prepare Prepare her to give an account to God one day. And, and listen, I can't do that without getting on my knees and bathing her in prayer. The institution of the marriage is given to us by God and can only be fulfilled, not because I'm some great watchman, it can only be fulfilled when I get on my knees and I ask God to do this with Prayer and ask God to help me have the wisdom to lead. So the same is true with my children and the same is true for our country. I see a lot of Christians who uh, fill their eyeballs and their ear canals with the news. And they're listening to this pundit give this opinion and this pundit give that opinion and this channel's got to slant this direction and this channel's got to slant this direction. But what if Christians were to turn off the news and shut out the opinions from God, uh, worldly, godless counsel from people who aren't even saved and were to just get on their face and pray to God that God 
God would do something great. My friend, we need men and women on the wall of this country being watchmen over the sin and praying over these needs. The prayers of the watchmen. You say, well, pastor, what effect does that have? Look at letter B. We see the promise of the Messiah. The promise of the Messiah. Look with me at verse number 6. I have set uh, watchmen upon thy walls. Now notice here, it's the Lord that puts the prayer warriors in place. It's the Lord that put the watchmen in place. I have set watchmen upon thy walls, O Jerusalem, which shall never hold their peace day nor night. Ye that make mention of the Lord, keep not silence. It's the Lord that puts them there. And look at verse 7, and give Him, give the Lord, give uh, God no rest till He uh, till He establish and till He make Jerusalem a praise in the, or the earth. The Lord hath sworn by His right hand and by Thy arm of His strength. Surely I will be, uh, I, will, I will no more give Thy corn to the meat for Thine enemies and the sons of the strangers shall not drink Thy wine for that, for the which Thou hast Labored. Take your Bibles to Luke chapter number 11. Uh, what effect does it have when we call out to God and we give Him no rest? Uh, listen, this moves the hand of God as it moves the heart of God. Now, uh, I have shared in uh, from this passage that we're getting ready to look at, I have shared the fact that a persistent child drives me absolutely bananas. And I have gotten my kids trained at this point not to ask and ask and ask and ask and continue to ask until I'm annoyed. They no longer know that they're not allowed to do that or they will not get what they want. They'll get the opposite of what they want. They'll get what they don't want. So uh, you can ask and you can remind, but you don't get to drive your parents crazy with the same request 500 times in a day. When our kids were little, we would not tell them that we were going to take them out to eat in the morning if we intended to do that in the evening because we would be asked about it all day long. And so instead, we would wait until the evening and then we would just take them. And so you learn these little things as you go along. And you know what? I don't like persistence. I don't like an importunist spirit, but God does. And that's exactly what He wants from us. He wants us to ask and ask and ask and ask and ask until He finally gives that very thing there. Look at Luke 11. Look at verse 5. And He said unto them, Which of you shall have a friend and shall go unto him at midnight and say unto him, Friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine in his journey has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto you, though he will not rise and give him because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. And I say unto you, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh, receiveth. And he that seeketh, findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, uh, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he give him a scorpion? If ye then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? God wants us 
to ask and ask continually, ask perpetually, ask with importunity, ask in the morning, ask in the evening, ask at 2 a.m. How many of you are at an age or at a place in life where you have to get up in the middle of the night on a regular basis to go to the restroom? How many of you are there? Amen. Okay, well, while you're up going to the restroom and you're walking to the bathroom and walking back, why don't you spend some more time in prayer? Amen. How many have a commute to work? A little bit of a commute to work. Raise your hand if you have a commute to work. How many work from home? Praise God, you get to work from home. Amen. That's a good savings on gas money, isn't it? Uh, you get up and uh, the only gas it takes you is the energy to get from your bedroom to your computer, right? And if your laptop is next to your bed, it doesn't even take that. You just open it up and just go right to work, uh, right there from your pillow. And so, uh, listen, you have a commute to work. Why don't you spend that in, in prayer time? Hey, shut off talk radio. It's a bunch of garbage. And pray. Pray. Shut off K-Love and pray. Uh, listen, talk to the Lord in prayer. Spend time with God in prayer. Why? Because when we ask God those things that are important, He appreciates that and He responds to that. Now again, I want to drive this home. If someone asks you something persistently, you tend to probably put your heels in and say, I'm not giving it to you. That's how we operate, but that's not what God wants from us. God wants us to ask more. In fact, the more we ask the more likely we are to get those things from the Lord. And so, uh, what, uh, what are the watchmen to do on the wall there in Jerusalem? They're to pray day and night without ceasing, and uh, they're to pray until the zeal of the Lord comes through and establishes Jerusalem as a strong country. Letter C, we see the praise of the righteous. The praise of the righteous. Go back to Isaiah 62 and look at verse number 7. The Bible says, And give him no rest till he established and till he make Jerusalem a praise in the earth. We know that one day Jesus will sit on the throne in Jerusalem there in the temple and what will happen, the river will come out from under the temple that will spread throughout the earth where life-giving nutrients will be provided and Jerusalem will be viewed as a place of praise. In fact, uh, there is one of the tribes of Israel that means praise. Does anyone here know which tribe of Israel translates or means praise? Anybody? It's Judah. The name Judah means praise. Means praise. Hey, listen, here's a neat little Bible study for you. Uh, let's see. It was uh, Leah that was the mother of Judah. Leah, I believe this was her fourth son. And the first three children that she gave names to, she complained to the Lord through their names because of her own insecurities. If you struggle with insecurity, study the life of Leah. Leah had great reason to be insecure. She had the eye problem and her dad had to trick Jacob in order to get her married and she had all kinds of insecurities and all the three names she gave lended toward that insecurity, but she got her insecurity solved by the time Judah was born and she named him Praise. And one day, Jerusalem, which is in Judah, will be called a place of praise. Look down at verse 9. Look down at verse 9, 62. But they that have gathered it shall eat it, and praise the Lord, and they that have brought it together shall drink it in the courts of my holiness. Now, I was supposed to leave tomorrow to fly to Israel. I was supposed to take a group from the church to Israel, and due to the war over there, it got canceled. Can I just tell you a little secret? 
I don't really want to travel to Israel right now. I don't want to be over there. Uh, I, I uh, sometimes when I when just trying to figure out what's going on, I'll turn the news on for a few minutes, and I see a reporter at either Tel Aviv or Jerusalem's in the background. I think that looks pretty safe over there right now. But listen, it's still a tense, hostile situation. I don't think any of you would want to spend a night in Jerusalem right now. You know, there's going to be a day where to go to Jerusalem is going to be a great place of praise to the Lord because Jesus Christ will be there and there will be no more war. The praise of the righteous. Letter D, notice the preparation for Christ's coming. This is really neat. Look with me at verse number 10. There's a theme that runs through the book of Isaiah and we'll see it yet again here in verse 10. Go through, go through the gates. Prepare ye the way of the people. Cast up, cast up the highway. Gather out the stones. Lift up a standard for the people. The idea of a highway can be found all throughout the book of Isaiah. And I picked a couple of examples of this in the book. There are many. In fact, we could do a whole Bible study just on this idea of a highway uh, in the book of Isaiah. But let's just look at two of them quickly. Turn back to chapter 11 and verse 16. Isaiah chapter 11 and verse number 16. And we see here a reference of a highway or the way of the Lord being prepared. Isaiah eleven sixteen, and there shall be an highway for the remnant of his people which shall be left from Assyria, like as it was to Israel in the day that he came up out of the land of Egypt. So there's going to be a highway established that will take people straight to Jerusalem. Turn to Isaiah chapter forty. Do you remember the old adage all roads lead to where, church? All all roads lead to Rome. One day uh, metaphorically, all roads will not lead to Rome. All roads will lead to Jerusalem because that will be the city where the life-giving uh, nutrients of the throne of God, the political capital of the world were, will be where King Jesus is ruling and reigning. Look at Isaiah 40, verse 3. We see a double prophecy here. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Now, what's that a prophecy of? That's John the Baptist. Is it not? Make straight in the desert a highway... For our God, every valley shall be exalted, every mountain and hill shall be made low, the streets will be made level, is what that's saying, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. You say, is this talking about a spiritual highway, or is this talking about a physical highway? My belief is that this is talking about physical highways that will be built that will lead people from all over that region of the world right into Jerusalem so that King Jesus can be worshipped. The preparation for Christ's coming. Let's finish with point number three. The announcement of a future day. The announcement of a future day. Look with me back at verses 11 and 12. And we'll close it out here. Verses 11 and 12. Behold, the Lord hath proclaimed unto the end of the world. Say ye to the daughters of Zion, Behold... Thy salvation cometh. Behold, His reward is with Him and His work before Him. And they shall call them, speaking of the Israelites, the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. And thou shalt be called, sought out, a city not forsaken. The announcement is for us this very hour. The salvation of Israel is God's overall plan of salvation. 
I watch the news sparingly. I've watched a little bit more recently since this war's broken out, but I still watch it sparingly. And I see, like you do, these protests that have broken out all over the world where flags supporting terrorist organizations are raised in great numbers in cities that are supposed to be Western culture, even here in our own country. I think of all of the people who are against Israel. The whole, the old adage that you, we hear going around right now, the chant in a lot of these is, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. Do you understand that's a call for genocide? The river is the Jordan River, and the sea is the Mediterranean Sea. What they're saying is that Palestine should occupy that, and the Israelites should be done away with. My friend, that is not God's plan. That is evil. That is wrong. You say, well, Pastor Lejeune, what is the greatest thing we could do to help Israel? Here's, here it is. You ready? If you know someone who's an Israelite, give them the gospel. Give them the gospel. Because right now, the Israelite people are lost. They've lost their way. They don't believe that Jesus, uh, corporately, they don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. They don't believe that uh, Messiah, Jesus, to be their Savior. And at the second coming of Christ, uh, the second coming of Christ means the second coming of Christ to establish His kingdom on earth for these people. We need to remind them who their Messiah is. We need to encourage them to trust Christ. On Sunday mornings right now, we have a man who is raised in a Jewish family who's attending our church. I won't share his name uh, just out of uh, uh, courtesy to him. Uh, but uh, he's been attending. He came for the first time in the very beginning of this year. I went by to visit him. He was cold toward me. He did not come back for several months. About two months ago, he started attending every Sunday. And on uh, International Sunday, we had the 815 service in here. He showed up for that service. He sat about where Kathy is sitting right now. And when I gave a pray in the prayer pew, uh, he raised his hand for salvation. He gave his heart to Christ. I've had a chance to connect with him since. He is thrilled to have put his faith and believe that Jesus is the Messiah. What is the greatest thing you can do for someone who is an Israelite? Help them understand that Jesus is the Messiah. One day, these people will be called throughout the rest of eternity, the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord, sought out, and Jerusalem will be known as a city not forsaken. What a day that's going to be. And so the watchman on the wall. What's the practical application for me and you? We need to be people of prayer, calling out and praying with an importunate spirit for God to help us with those institutions He's put us over. Whether that's a marriage, whether that's a home, whether that's being part of a, this country, whether that's uh, praying for Israel. May we pray for peace in Jerusalem. Let's stand together. We'll be sent forth to serve the Lord the rest of the week. I hope you'll have a great week. Uh, rest of your week. Go be a bright light in a dark world. That's what we need. We need Christians to stand out and be bright lights in a dark world. Amen? So I ask God to bless us as we go. And I pray that you'll be encouraged this week. Brother Okai, would you close us in prayer tonight?